0: Once again, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Red Pill News. I hope you're having a lovely day. As always, my name is Zach Payne, the Corruption Detector, and in this very special episode, I'm pleased to bring you an interview I did earlier this week with an American patriot, a Navy SEAL. Uh, He is on his way out of the service. His name is Jordan Barnhart. And it's not that he wants to leave, he doesn't want to stop serving, but he's being forced out by the actions of his soon-to-be ex-wife, and more importantly, the corrupt family court system in Virginia. Now, Jordan it has been dealing with a lot, and uh, his story is heartbreaking. And when he reached out to me, I said, I have to bring this to the audience. Now, very importantly, within the context of this conversation, we discuss the effects of bipolar 2, not only on uh, the individual who may have it and may not be getting treatment, but most importantly, on the people in their life, their family, their friends, their loved ones. Now, mental illness is not a death sentence. I know that there are going to be people here watching the show who are diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Uh, but as someone who has had a variety of experiences with people in my own personal life who have been diagnosed and, and not gotten treatment, I can tell you that the effects can be devastating. Uh, Most importantly, I want to stress that uh, if you are a person who has been diagnosed with any form of mental illness, there are treatment options available for you out there. Uh, And I know that in the moment, uh, it's not always easy to, to have that perspective and to understand what you're supposed to do Um, but this right here my interview with Jordan it's an excellent example of what can happen uh, when that disease takes over someone's life and uh, they use it to rain hell down on someone who was most important to them so do me a favor sit back relax and grab your popcorn because we're going to be right back after this Welcome back, everyone, once again to another episode of Red Pill News. As always, I'm your host, Zach Payne, the corruption detector. And joining me today is a former Navy SEAL man by the name of Jordan Barnhart. Uh, we're going to be talking about his battles with the family court system and the corruption that everybody is well aware of inside of it. Jordan, I want to thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Oh, Thank you, Zach. I really appreciate you having me on today.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, let let's begin by giving the audience a, a little bit of information about your, yourself. Uh, yeah, as I said, you were a Navy SEAL. Tell us about your career.
1: Uh, so I um, I joined in 2007. Um, I I'm, I am actually still in my career as a Navy SEAL. I'm still active duty. Um, I'm currently being forced out of the military from all everything that I'm going through right now. Um, however, uh, I've had a great career. Um, amazing time with the SEAL teams. It's been the best time of my life i mean i couldn't be more thankful to having the honor to serve much amongst such uh, great guys um but i've deployed to all over the middle east the middle east is kind of my specialty i uh picked up uh, about three conversational dialects of arabic while I was over there so i had a really uh, great love for their people um just spending so much time overseas with them i was always the guy that was kind of um forefront talking to people dealing with the populace I'm always making friends and interacting with people as we move throughout cities and whatnot. Um, But I've I've really had a kind of rare career for most SEALs. Uh, I've had time training with military dogs, uh, gotten to work with like every police force and pretty much every uh, government agency out there. Uh, I've been really, really lucky up to this point. Um, It's really tragic to have to leave it early because of all this.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, I think I've interviewed a lot of people and, and, and quite a few people, men and women, who have dealt with the family court system and, and you know, witnessed firsthand the, the horror that it's wrought on their lives. But, I mean, the idea that what you're going through might destroy your career, I mean, that's a new one for me, uh, you know, definitely – and especially in a career as illustrious as yours, I mean, you would think that if people are going through custody battles or, or you know, some type of situation with the courts, the court or the opposing party is going to have a vested interest in ensuring that you maintain employment so that you can continue to pay child support or so that you can continue to pay into this system but i i i can you explain to the audience how it's possible that your ex wife could use this situation to destroy your career
1: oh absolutely yeah it's it's honestly um just unfathomable how easy it was for her to do it. I mean it took literally one phone call to my command and one stop by not even the court but the magistrate to get a protective order and that in itself um i mean all she did was walk down to the magistrate's office which i guess is like a on-duty uh, pseudo judge and her, she talked to her, her lawyer going in there ahead of time and they gave her like a little write-up to say and it was so it was so canned i can't even believe they gave, gave it credibility but that she basically went in there and said my husband's a navy seal he's unstable he has a firearm at home and i'm, I'm feared for my life and life of my children and just like that protective order no questions asked no proof needed Um, I showed up the next day at work after she called my command. I mean, it was obviously an act of, you know, a vindicative act to try to hurt me. Um, But, you know, to follow that up, she called uh, the command that I worked for, which was a special duty command at the time. And it took me, I worked for over 12 years to get to that particular command. And um, she called and within one phone call had totally ended my employment at that command. I showed up the next day. I was met by by, uh, two of the high ranking enlisted leaders uh they took my badge took my security clearance and i was no longer allowed to access anything that i had um you know none of my none of my clothes none of my gear i was completely unable to access the base and where i worked every day leading up to that point um they have had so many cases come across that they protect the the you know the the seal teams at all costs and so Uh, To them, they just kind of take a back seat and let the court work things out and then make moves from there. And they they don't really have any other choice. The military's hands are kind of tied. But the unfortunate part when you cross over the military and civilian worlds is they see everything as two separate things. So like my soon-to-be ex-wife's lawyer told her that the protective order is really just like a timeout. But the military sees it as like uh, basically – like somebody's abusing their family. And so somebody has to go get a protective order to, to protect a abused victim. And the military has no way of just the way the military has red buttons and the protective order kind of pushed one of those. And it immediately forced me out of my job. And I took a huge pay cut. Um, and then that kind of just proceeded or started a downhill avalanche of events that um, has pretty much destroyed my entire life um, that I've worked my whole adult life for definitely destroyed my career at this point, and I mean most uh, most importantly, the the worst part about all of this is just the damage it's done to my three sons. Oh, absolutely! Uh, they've been the they've taken the brunt of it all. As you know, nobody this whole time stops. Everyone gets so absorbed themselves that nobody stops and thinks about how this is affecting them. How scary this is for how traumatizing it is for them. I mean, even CPS, we've done two CPS investigations at this point with the, with my, on my ex-wife. And they basically told me, until one of your kids end up, ends up in the hospital, we can't intervene.
0: Jeez, oh, So, So you're telling me that with as much money as the Navy pours into guys like you, with the sensitive nature of the work you're doing, that they don't have any type of process to, I guess, double check? Those claims that are being made against you, I mean, I'm just, it's shocking to hear that they would just immediately drop everything and say, guess what, you know, all of, you know, the last 12 years, completely down the tubes, everything that we put you through, everything that you've done for your country, all of the service that you've given, your own time, your own effort, your body, we're just going to take our word for it?
1: Absolutely, yeah, they they don't, their hands are so tied because uh, they, they fall into this like sensitive nature where they have to, it's, it's one of those things. It's kind of uh, a weird militarism where it's like, they have to kind of take a step back and uh, let the courts handle it because they're risking the whole community as, and our reputation. So they try not to intervene just because in case somebody was doing something that was criminal, uh, they don't want it to appear that they're taking sides or trying to defend somebody that's a criminal. And so I, I understand where they're coming from. Um, And I understand the military and I I honestly support the military. I feel like they're kind of just trying their best. They're they're like preoccupied with our nation's most uh, severe and um, significant threats. And, you know, they really don't have time or energy or resources, even though we do have vast resources. It's still limited in the scope of things to put towards things like this. And I, I more blame the court systems for being so reckless and irresponsible with these protective orders and with letting lawyers pretty much have free reign to do whatever they feel like. Yeah, I mean, I'm basically at this point treated like a criminal and I've, I haven't broken any laws. I haven't done anything wrong at this point. And, up, and for the last two years now, I've been treated as if I was uh, like just got out of prison and I've literally not, not been convicted of anything, not had a single criminal charge filed against me. I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's so, it's, a, it's such a bad feeling to be treated as a criminal when I've done nothing wrong. Of
0: course, of course. You know, n- not to denigrate any branch of the armed services, but you know, I I feel like it's not just them. But I, I mean, there are so many different institutions that seem to have failed you, failed your children. Uh, you know, I know that quite often the court, whoever it is, they're they're going to give the benefit of the of the doubt to the mother. But the family court, especially, I mean, you're right. They treat you guilty until you prove yourself innocent. You know, there are no other avenues that do that. I mean, our broke, our judicial system is as broken as broken can be. And, you know, unfortunately, I know that our government just lets people fall through the cracks and and, and people are, are failed all the time. It doesn't matter if you're in the armed forces or not. You know, I mean, it just happens. But. You know, I feel like we owe people like you more than what you're given. Um, and you know, when it comes to situations like this, and I, I, obviously me knowing everything that I know about your story, it, it's it's especially distressing. And I and I kind of want to preface this and say that Jordan and I uh, have had uh, some similar experiences when it comes to this stuff. And you know, I I, I want you to you know explain to the audience how this really played out and you can be as detailed or, 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 you know, as vague as you want to, but what went wrong in your relationship? What led to this?
1: Um, So 2019, I had uh, one of those busy years of my life. Uh, I was working flying overseas and back and forth all over the country. I think I flew across the country about, uh, I think I counted seven times and across the world twice uh, just before Christmas and, Um, I was gearing up for deployment in 2020 uh, to face one of our nation's greatest threats at that time. And uh, it was an important deployment. I've been waiting for it for a long time. And so I was definitely, um, you know, out of the house more than normal. But, I I mean, me and my uh, soon-to-be ex-wife had been together since um, we met when she was 13. And I was uh, like 14 or 15 at that time. And we grew up less than a half a mile from each other in our hometown. And, I mean, we had a thriving christian family up to this point and a few months before my deployment um i noticed she started she she has type 2 bipolar disorder and she's been suicidal suicidal frequently throughout our relationship and i noticed before my deployment she started kind of uh edging towards one of her bipolar cycles and um she for the first time in our relationship had asked me like hey you know started familiarizing me with the idea of having an open relationship and i immediately just kind of laughed. And I said, I said, you know, I knew something was immediately wrong and I was like, Oh fuck. But I just, I was so busy at the time that I couldn't slow down and deal with it. And, you know, I just told her, it's okay. You know, I'll just go on this deployment. We'll figure it out when I get back, but just don't, don't do anything crazy. You're going to ruin our family that we've worked so hard to keep together. And she, you know, I I had known at that point that uh, she probably had a boyfriend or something of that nature Um, but I just, you know, it was so busy that I had to keep going. And so I was a couple months into deployment and she, uh, when quarantine broke out and it was really hard on her mentally, um, her, she also has, she also suffers from rheumatoid arthritis and it's, uh, flared up very severely. And so I started talking to my leadership about coming back early to help her out because I couldn't get any family to fly out to help her. And I, I mean, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't ask anybody to be locked in the house with three rambunctious young boys during a quarantine. So I, I totally understand, understood the need to come back and help her, especially suffering from that much pain that she was in. Um, And she was also starting to become suicidal again. And so I started like really making it more urgent to get back. Uh, But it was hard for me to leave because I'd waited a very long time for that deployment. And so I, you know, was kind of very reluctant, but I just left anyways, because, you know, I've always been family first and i've always i love my boys with all my heart and uh you know i would do anything to protect them and and care for them and so it was a big sacrifice for me but i i flew back anyways and on the flight back she told me she wanted a divorce Mm -hmm. and that kind of was the catalyst of starting this two year two and a half year now um god it was 2020 at the time it's almost three years now Mm -hmm. of just a a snowball of watching our family just be destroyed by instability and worst of all the lawyers in the quarter um, when i got back she became very like violent and difficult to deal with uh, she'd frequently leave the house almost every day and i pretty much took care of the kids for um, about six months by myself and we were also hurting financially so i like remodeled our house so we could sell it and try to make some money to get caught back up and uh, it was one of the most stressful period of my lo- periods of my life i mean she was in and out um, almost you know acting like a teenager frequently violent with me, hit me, me and me doing anything she could to hurt me in front of the kids when we would get into arguments. And I mean, she'd been violent before, but never to this extent. And it was definitely bad. It was it was bad enough to where I was willing to pay uh, out of pocket uh, 100% cash for a brain scan by one of the Dr. Uh, Daniel Amen clinics, just because she had read one of his books and thought that it was it gave her hope with her bipolar disorder. And um i was willing to take the risk i was getting really desperate just for any help uh, mm-hmm. just because of how bad she was hurting and how unstable everything was at that time um, I, I was able to maintain it at my job for a while but um you know eventually i just all taking care of my kids and everything became too much and i started looking to sideline myself to try to deal with all these family issues before pushing towards another deployment um and you know that that kind of um her in and out and us fighting quite a bit it got it got so bad at one point that i had to move out for a month and stay in a hotel then i'd come back home and try to stay there again but i just the kids it was just too much fighting in front of the kids and um that pretty much went until we had the protective order and once she filed the protective order um that like i didn't know this at the time but when you when a, a woman files a protective order against a mandate they the men still, if they are typically the guy that pays the bills, they're still required to pay all the household bills. Uh-huh. I mean, cell phone, everything they're paying before, but now they're homeless. Uh-huh. So now you're trying to figure out how to get a lawyer, how to pay for that lawyer. And you don't have a house to live in. So I was, I, had, I knew we were going to have financial troubles. So I dealt with our finances, our whole ma- marriage. And I saw the, the writing on the wall. And so I had, I started renovating houses on, on this spot when I w- wasn't working in the Navy, And I was actually uh, forced to stay in one of my houses that didn't have heat or running water until I, until just the lack of sanitation, I got so sick that I couldn't um, stay there anymore. And I mean, it it was bad. It was the middle of winter and it it gets pretty cold here. Um, I mean, I, I didn't have access to any of my gear. Even my dad had begged her to like leave my jackets and gear at like a police station or anywhere that I could access it. And she wouldn't, she refused to leave any of my stuff anywhere. So I was, completely on my own with just bare minimum clothing and just whatever I had in my truck when that police officer came to my house and handed me the protective order. And it was, it was horrible. I mean, I barely made it through that those seven months until she finally sobered up and um, went to court and removed the protective order. She, I think she eventually realized that she was doing it out of vengeance and to try to, I mean, I think, you know, to her own credit, I think what had happened was my boys started, like trusting me and gravitating towards me more than her. And there was really a catalyst one night when she, uh, she, we and her had gotten in a big fight and she had asked the boys to go with her and they had wanted to stay with me. And I, seeing them choose me over her kind of uh, just, I think it put her in a panic mode. I don't think she had realized how bad it had gotten until that point. And so I think she wanted the protective order as a way to protect her ability to, I like, not lose the children. I think, mm-hmm. I think she really fears the social, the way that be viewed socially, and so um, I think she was scared of the embarrassment of that personally, and um, so she, she was really reluctant to uh, to let go of the protective order, even though she knew it was wrong. We had several conversations throughout it that she had told me that she had just done it because she felt like her back was against the wall with the kids, and she just wanted to protect her interest in them. Um. However, that whole time, I mean, her her and she, it turns out that whole time she was dating my kids basketball basketball coach. And, Mm. you know, now he's staying at the house, my kids and I'm paying for it and I'm homeless and, um, you know, I'm still paying for their food and everything else. And she's refusing to work, refusing to take any responsibility financially. And then the worst part of all was she wouldn't care for the house either. So, while I was out of the house, she caused about thirty to $50,000 worth of damage to the house. Wow. And when I finally got the house back after she um, – because I finally just told her, like, hey, you're going to have to figure something out. Either buy this house from me or take over the loan or something because I can't keep paying it like this and living in my truck. And so she finally um, turned the house over. And when I got it back, I mean, my oldest son looked at me and he's like, dad, I'm so sorry. He's like, it's so bad. And she had letting both the she had let both the ACs break while they were living here, and one of them was on and off, like functional enough to be to live on one side of the house. But she was making my son live on one side of the house that didn't have any AC. And it when I got in the room, it was probably over 120 plus wow. degrees in the room we're staying in. What part of the and country I, is this? Uh, this is Virginia, Virginia, Virginia okay. Beach, Virginia. Okay, so I mean, okay. we're hitting high 95, 100 degrees during the summer with uh with full humidity. Um, I, I mean that's was, abuse. Uh, terrible, what what she was
0: doing to them. So and 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 during this entire seven month period where where you were homeless and and she was just doing whatever she wanted. So she was drinking that entire time. Was she using drugs as well?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, she was using marijuana, um, which the doc Gaming clinic told her not to do that um, mm-hmm. with her bipolar disorder. But she um, she wouldn't listen. There, you know, I, I know a lot of people use marijuana medicinally and whatnot but for her it is has really negative effects yeah and um she refused to, to to you know adhere to what the damon clinic had recommended for her bipolar disorder and they're drinking in front of the kids and she's not a heavy drug or alcohol user but at this time she really started using marijuana products like i'd i'd, I'd see her car and she'd have like a, a bag of the the gummy bear marijuana mm-hmm. edibles laying in her bag and, or laying in her car and be like, Right. Please. Like the kids are going to take those on accident. That's crazy. You can't do that. And so um, it was bad. It was the only time I've seen her use drugs that bad. And her mom's a really heavy drug user. So I was, I was getting really nervous at that point because, you know, I'd watched her mom do every kind of drug possible as a kid, almost to the point where it got her um, killed as a kid growing up. And so I've always been really nervous about that with her and seeing her go down that road with my kids in the house and me unable to like go to the house and see if they're okay. And my kids would call me at, at night, scared to death when she would leave them and go out partying. And, um, I mean, they even when she blocked my phone numbers from their phones, they would call my sister in the middle of the night, just screaming. They're so scared. And there's nothing I could do to help them. I mean, I called CPS, I'd called everybody I could, I'd, I had my oldest son go to a school counselor. Um, anything I could think of, I tried and it didn't Nobody took it seriously. Her lawyers is just insane about covering all this up.
0: So, okay, so this is like uh, one of the most mind blowing parts that that she not only was she completely uh, abandoning them, uh, she had them living in in squalid conditions. I mean, anybody else that was living in conditions like that, I mean, they would get the t- the kids taken away right away uh oh, using absolutely. drugs and alcohol in front of the kids um you know emotional abuse as a result of witnessing this i'm sure that she wasn't kind uh speaking to the kids about you while you were gone um you know th- there's any number of uh ways here that your wife could have really jeopardized uh custody for for both of you how was she able to maintain this type of behavior and uh and and get away with that i mean who is supporting her in this endeavor
1: so i think that's the the most appalling part of all this is i mean her lawyer that they set her up with initially uh her boyfriend the aau basketball coach had a family friend uh, michelle mccracken and she initially took hold of the whole thing her and her husband and the two of them Basically anything that I did to try to expose it, anything I did to try to go to court to uh, show that she was neglecting the kids, she would have a strategy to try to either circumvent the court system that was being used at that time or cover it up or get her friends to be um, like, you know, I fought for months to get a guardian ad litem and she got a change to one of her friends that she'd worked with for 20 years and it basically hired a second lawyer for my wife. And I mean, I think the hardest part I mean, to be 100% honest, the reason most girls aren't able to do this, they don't have the financial backing. But with the money she was taking from her new boyfriend, her family, her grandparents, her aunt and uncle, her friends, um, plus the money she made in real estate, she pretty much just had, you know, carte blanche payments to her lawyer anytime she wanted. So uh, where like me, I have to be so careful because, I mean, I just had, I mean, my, my lawyer just dropped me as a client because I couldn't pay my bill again today, my, my, my third lawyer. And they said, hey, if you don't pay me in 48 hours, we're going to drop you. And I said, okay, you know, I, there's nothing I can do to pay it. Um, and for her, that's not a problem. I mean, they can, they can go to court on complete lies, knowing it's not going to do any good or bad, and just, just to force me to go there, too. And it puts you in a horrible position because you either comply with their demands or you hire a lawyer to go to court with you. Mm-hmm. And if you can't afford it, then you, you're really risking them ke- like catching you in like an administrative or clerical error and getting screwed over by the court system, which has happened several times throughout this, to the point where I was scared that I was going to jail or getting fined to the point where I couldn't eat or pay my bills.
0: How, how much money have you spent so far on you know the entirety of the family court system?
1: Um, I want to say well over twenty, probably closer to thirty thousand. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I'm not wealthy. I'm in the military, and I've had to borrow money from uh, my family this whole time. And if I had fought her the way, in an effective way, I easily could have spent eighty to a hundred thousand. I mean, that's what it required, and that's why I'm failing right now. Mm-hmm. The, the scariest part of all this that I learned was the law doesn't mean anything, the truth doesn't mean anything, what happened doesn't mean anything. Uh, what people say doesn't mean anything. The only thing that really matters in, in court that I've experienced is who has the most money that can persistently file the most motions and continue to file over and over again until the other person is broke and can no longer defend themselves. It's kind of, it kind of reminds me of like the Cold War of Russia, you know, eventually sure. a country is going to break apart when you financially break somebody. And that they, I think after a while, her lawyer caught on to the fact that she was lying about me and that uh that I'm a stable healthy adult and that it, the only way that she could really beat me is if she broke me financially. Mm-hmm. And so her, I think her strategy this whole time has been to take as much money from me as possible and then break me down to where I'm get kicked out of the navy, I can't afford to have a home and I'm li- I'm homeless living in my truck uh because then it's very easy to take custody and it's very easy to um make my son who currently lives with me full time to move in with his mom again.
0: So you had mentioned earlier that at a certain point, the kids, you know, they, they said out loud, they're old enough. They they said, we don't want to go with you, mom. You know, we don't like the way you're acting. We don't like the situation. Um, you know, so where does that stand? What about the, the the court system? I mean, are they speaking with your kids? I mean, because it, it seems pretty easy that they could just verify what you've said through the children and they could show that living with her is unhealthy so
1: that's one of the most disgusting parts about all this is i at one point my ex-wife had kidnapped my son he was staying with my mom in california because he was he actually got so depressed out here because he was getting severely neglected during the protective order um to where he was like i thought like he he was suicidal and um we were all super worried about him and so my mom uh, and him have always had a great relationship. And so my wife, unfortunately, actually tried to kill herself last summer and almost died. Mm. And I had to get her and my kids out to California with my parents because I was trying to fix the house that she had destroyed and I didn't have a habitable house for them to stay in. And so I when they had gone out there, he stayed with them. And she, um, the plan was for him to do a semester in school there while, He surfed with her and got plenty of exercise and she was going to get him caught up in school. And it was going really well. It was the best I've ever seen him thrive in his entire life. And um, she got mad at me one day, flew out there unexpectedly and kidnapped him. Um, Didn't tell me where she was going. Didn't tell me what was going on. Didn't tell anybody what was happening. Dropped my other son off at her friend's house who I didn't know where he was or when he was, how long he was going to be there if they're out of state. And I I know that people think of that and they're like, you know, it's not the same as kidnapping because it's your spouse it's their mother. But when you're in that situation, you don't know where your kids are, when you're going to see them again or where they're going. It, it feels the same way it's, almost. I, I would never kidnap somebody. It, it really is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because you don't know. I mean, I didn't know if she was going to flee or her, her, her grandparents' house in her hometown. I didn't know what was going on at that point. She was going to go hide out in Idaho with her brother. And I mean, I couldn't get a hold of my kids. She blocked my number from all their phones. And it it was horrible. And and when she had done that, um, I went to the court system and filed emergency custody and um, I had an emergency custody order and the courts actually heard, kind of heard everything, heard how she committed suicide. They filed the CPS investigation and just that she was leaving the kids alone with no supervision except for my oldest son and no food, um, you know, for 12 plus hours at a time. And, um, they they started the, the CPS investigation themselves, and it was going through JDR, and her lawyers so conniving that like she they were able to take it from an emergency custody order and circumvent all of JDR and put it in the circuit in the circuit court system, and so JDR had to di- divest interest, and the worst part of that was uh, to bring back to your early question the 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 JDR court juvenile d- domestic uh, relations court had assigned a guardian ad litem to talk to my kids. And it was the first time I thought I had hope that my kids could talk to this person and be like, Hey, you know, mom's hitting dad in front of us, super violent. She's using drugs. She's neglecting us, you know, and just go through the gambit and it would verify and, um, you know, kind of support everything that I've been fighting for this time and everything I've been telling the courts. Um, but when the, the, the guardian ad litem, the JDR signed, they, her lawyer knew that, that he was like a non, you know, non-biased player in the matter and would represent the kids accurately. And so she figured out a way to talk my lawyer. She's like, I'm not using this guy. You're going with my friend, or we're not using a guardian ad litem. And so my lawyer knew how desperate I was to get a guardian ad litem, and he got sucked into it and unfortunately um, signed up for one of her best friends that she'd known forever. And she had basically gone to one of her friends and said, hey, I need your help, to, you know, I'm sure she gave her a, a, sob, a sob story about my ex-wife and got her to sympathize with her and her health conditions and whatnot. And that's fine, but she still has a duty and obligation to children to fulfill. And so she came in and I mean, she has been honestly, the. her name's Anna Sass, and she's been the worst part of all of this. I've never seen somebody neglect their duty and obligations towards children so grossly in my entire life. Well, not to mention the
0: conflict of interest.
1: Oh, I mean, it's so illegal. I mean, I I saw it right away because my ex-wife wrote me a message just gloating about how Anna was going to come in and have her back. And, you know, she actually sent me an email to her lawyer where Anna had divulged information that they had shared that was illegal to share. And I knew right away what was going on. And I told everybody, I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not proceeding forward like this. This is the one lifeline that I had to have a third party my children verify everything that had gone on and for them to advocate for themselves too, because they have been through a horrible Mm -hmm. traumatic experience and been neglected horrifically. And I wanted them to have, to be able to advocate for themselves as well and to have somebody fighting for them and protecting them. And Anna came in and before she'd met me, before she met any of the children, she wrote a court order that basically lined out everything that mom had wanted line for line. And it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. My, my, my oldest son looks at me. He's like, dad, what if one of us were being molested or bullied at school? Cause she forced one of them to go back to the school that their mom had wanted them to go to mm-hmm. where I'd started them in homeschool upon their request to get them caught. They're so far behind. My, my oldest son needed to start homeschool because he was so far behind that he couldn't keep up in his math class. Mm-hmm. And he, um, he, it was just, it was just what he wanted to do. And he'd been fighting for years. His mom agreed to it. And she forced him back into school and he's like, dad, she doesn't even interview this. What if we're being like bullied? You know, we could have gone to school and gotten killed the next day. Like she doesn't know any of us. She didn't even talk to us. And, I, you know, I, I've never once complained about Anna not. She, I mean, to this day, she's never interviewed me, but I, I don't care if she disagrees with me. Like she's a guardian ad litem. She knows the court system in and out Um, that I've never I would never criticize somebody for disagreeing with me the thing that I criticize her for and the, the reason I think it's so wrong and just so horrific is that she doesn't even do an investigative procedure. So like, like that, for example, where she didn't even talk to each one of the kids to find out the full story before moving forward and making, um, you know, extreme demands through court orders for the kids' lives, completely controlling the kids' lives. And I mean, there was one incident where um, my soon to be ex-wife has punched my middle son in the face and, he calls me bawling and he's outside the house freaking out. You know, his mom hit me. She hates me. And I go, I'm like, Hey, it's okay. They, they have a pretty tumultuous relationship and I've always intervened in between. so I'm like, Hey, I'll come pick you up. Um, but I've had such a hard time with the court system that I was like, Hey, I'm just going to call the police, do a police report just so that it's on record.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and part of that, I, I text her what you're supposed to do as a guardian ad litem for the kids, just text them if there's like police involvement. And she she texted me back, didn't say anything that night, didn't text my son. She has my son's phone number, could have called him, could have FaceTimed him, could have set up a meeting at a school. There's a million things she could have done that she she did absolutely nothing, but texted me and said, it's not okay to allow your son to lie about their parent.
0: Jeez, oh, Pete. So, What? So what about the police, though? What about the police? Did Did they ever come over and verify that your son had been hit or that there was a physical altercation?
1: So- they, they came and they met me and my son, but my son was so scared to talk to him because he was just he was so like hysterical at that point that he was just begging me to not talk to them. And so he was just hysterically crying, just saying, you know, over and over again. And so he, I talked to the police and he was there, um, but he, they didn't do like a full interview where they're like looking at his face and like checking him out. And I mean, fortunately, she didn't hurt him. And I, I knew she probably wouldn't be able to because she, she's hit me enough times for me to realize that she's. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not very uh dangerous you know but it sure. doesn't none, nonetheless it's like when you get anybody that's um been in those type of situations it's so easy for somebody to slip and push somebody down the stairs or sure you know, or, you know. <laughs> fall and hit your head or anything like when you get that violent that out of control it's 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 a kid i mean
0: that's what, and that's what i'm saying it's, it's an adult a child and a closed fist you know i mean like it's a complete I got I got slapped more than once when I was a kid for being mouthy, you know. And I mean, like, you know, hey, sometimes you need to get this yeah. in your place, you know. But like getting punched in the face by your parent, there, there's no excuse for that.
1: Especially when Anna had a court order saying that we weren't allowed to physically discipline our children, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. that was that was against our custody agreement. And um, you know, she completely didn't do a single bit of investigating, and then. At that point, I told her I was like, "Hey, like this is this is this is unacceptable on every level. Like, I, I cannot, I cannot just allow you to do this. You're gonna get a kid killed eventually.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: you can't, you can't keep acting like this." I was like, "I don't care if you like me, if you hate me, but you have to have a procedure. Nobody's gut is that accurate, and even if it is, just cover your own butt. I mean, you should want to investigate just to cover your own, sure. like, you know, butt and make sure that you're not going to get in trouble down the road for neglecting something or somebody point fingers like now." And it was, you know, it was unfortunate that three months later it happened again. And that time she couldn't ignore it. And she went to a school and interviewed him and quietly didn't tell me about it. Um, she said nothing to me. She went to a school and said, that's not okay. I'll talk to your mom. But that's it.
0: Okay. But it's on record though, that that yeah. she understands that your your wife hit your son?
1: Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, he went to, she went to his school, talked to him and then promised him, he, uh, she would talk to the mom about not hitting him anymore and it hasn't happened since fortunately but it shouldn't have taken two times I mean that's that's but that's been the case with every single instance that I've had to deal with I mean when my ex tried to commit kill herself last summer I mean she she took a whole bottle of that but uh, Vicodin almost died mm-hmm. and I mean she left the kids alone with my oldest son in the morning went to a parking lot and tried to kill herself and I mean, that whole thing, if I, if I had done anything close to that, I would have lost the kids immediately.
0: That would have been,
1: oh, there would have been no question. And her lawyer and the guardian, the item and all of them, they don't even, they don't even respect that as a suicide attempt. And she tried again in February. um, And I had, and she called me hysterical because, you know, her and I have been best friends since I was 15. And so I think she just called me for comfort and we talked for several days in a row, even though we hadn't talked for months. And I was concerned about her, and she was t- saying that she wanted to check herself into a, a, a mental institution to try to help. And I thought it was a great idea, and I was trying to help her find one. She eventually just said she couldn't do anymore and tried to kill herself. Mm-hmm. And I got scared because my last lawyer had told me if I if that happens again, I don't report it that I could lose custody of my kids. And so I I, I told the guardian I didn't do anything crazy. I just I just wrote the guardian at an email saying here's what happened. I attached some text messages where she was talking about it and i said you know i'm not looking to do anything drastic i just need you to make i'm just trying to put this on record because i'm scared to lose custody of my kids if i don't report this you know i, I understand mm-hmm. that she's snapped out of it at this point she's now um you know kind of on the the they have like a rebounding side of the bipolar cycle where they get in like this right. like self-improvement mode mm-hmm. and um she was on that part of it and so i I'd known her for so long i knew she was okay but i was more just trying to notify her and um she, they, I had phone like I called initially, and they were, they were like, okay, send me everything you got. I call them back the next day. I like, hey, did you get everything? They're like, yeah, but we couldn't understand any of the audio messages, and we don't see what you're talking about in the text messages. And I'm like, what do you mean? She said she tried to kill herself, like clear as day. And they're like, yeah, we just don't think we don't we don't agree. And so they sent me an email, and they're like, we reviewed the whole situation, and we don't feel that she tried to commit suicide; that she was just uh, emotionally disturbed. And they're, they, co- they covered the whole thing up because they knew that I could take custody at that point. And I was like, listen, I was like, I'm not looking to take custody of my kids. I don't want to take them away from their mother. That's horrible. I don't know why parents do that to each other. I was like, all I want is this to be recognized and dealt with and her to get treatment so this doesn't keep happening over and over and over again like it has for the past 13 years. I was like, she needs to deal with this so she can be a healthy, stable mom moving forward. And I, I wrote them, her, her lawyer, the guardian litem, and everybody I could think of a long letter about how how disgusting it was to do this because by covering up, you're telling her, A, it's not okay to have emotion, like a uh, mental disorder. So then she's going to have to cover it up, which is going to lead to more, worse problems. And then B, she's never going to get help for it, so it's going to keep happening. And I said, hey, I'll sign any form, any court order I have to, saying that she will not be punished or have custody taken away from her for seeking treatment and nobody even responded to to my email and i was totally i, I i'm you know swear to god I, I wouldn't have taken the kids away for her seeking treatment that's that's ridiculous like i want her to get help and get and be stable more than well, anything
0: I, I i don't know i don't think that anybody watching this is gonna you know be worried that that you would be trying to take advantage of the situation. I mean, you've had the the patience of a saint at this point, Jordan. But, you know, if I can be brutally honest uh, about a situation such as yours, when someone reaches this point in adulthood and, you know, I would imagine, you you know, well, tell me, you know, at what point did your wife change from that, you know, normal, happy person that you knew that you met and fell in love with into this person who was mentally unstable and on the brink of, you know, doing terrible things all the time. I mean, was that like early 20s or?
1: Um, so she, I mean, she would go through. So she's typically like 85% of her life. She's, you know, one of the sweetest, most empathetic people you'll ever meet. That's mm-hmm. super easy to be around, really kind, uh, real nurturing mom. You know, she's always been a flake since she was little. That's just kind of who she is. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the ADD that runs, you know, in everyone I know. It seems like, uh, but you know, it's it's really that fifteen percent where she hits like the downside of the cycle, and she has type two disorder. So you know, she's typically in like a sub depressed state where she's just a little bit depressed, kind of mm-hmm. struggling to do normal things, complete yeah. normal tasks. Uh, but she only hits that real suicidal point when things get really bad. And I've always been like a steady rock therefore to kind of, course. uh, keep her stable in those hard times. But it's been, it's been hardest when I was on deployment. That's when I really noticed she would fall really hard and she'd have to call her grandma or her, unfortunately mother at the, that point to come and help her care for the kids. Cause she was unable to, and she'd get that low. So, um, but I would say she's been doing it since she was, since I met her, honestly, 13, 14, okay. 15 years old. And then well. she really changed when I got back from deployment though, Um, that was the only time I've seen like an actual, like light to dark change in her. Um, I mean, when I came back from deployment, she, even her voice sounded different. Mm -hmm. It, it still scares me. I mean, I I don't like even watching her face in pictures. I'm like, God, who is this? Uh, it's it's the scariest transformation I've ever seen in somebody.
0: So are you saying like, just like in, in two years ago, basically in 2020, this is when it changed you know, was she close to 30 at that point?
1: Yeah. Yeah. She okay. was just about 30. Yeah, okay. that's exactly
0: yeah. right. Because, you know, from the the uh, the research I've done on it, you know, I mean, it can begin earlier. But generally, you know, like uh, uh, or late 20s, early 30s is, is when like the really difficult stuff will kick in. Um, and, you, you know, so it's um, it's probably difficult to hear, dude. But, you know, bipolar two is very, very like notoriously difficult to get a handle on. And when people have others in their life that are co-signing their bullshit, that are, um, you know, propping them up, uh, you know, I mean, it makes it even harder for them to get the help that they need. And even if they're in, like, regular therapy and taking their medication, there is still going to be that point at which they're like, I feel so good, I'm just going to stop taking my medication, and then, you know, we're going to see what happens again, and they're going to spiral out all over again, Um so, you know, it, it, it's um, it, it's tough, dude. But, I mean, taking custody of the kids doesn't necessarily have to be, like, a vindictive thing. It doesn't have to be something that is, like, you know, you getting revenge on your wife. I mean, there is a real possibility that she is a danger to herself and to the kids. So, I mean, I would highly recommend that any time she says anything about self-harm or suicide your first call should be the police, okay? I mean, because clearly the guardian ad litem isn't doing anything about it on on its own. The family court system isn't doing anything about it. You got to get that on on record with the authorities. And, you know, that happens enough times and they're going to start to listen to you. Um, You know, and uh, I know that people, you know, in, in your wife's position... They can be uh, very well put together, very highly intelligent, um, pretty manipulative. Uh, They can get people to listen to them and to take sympathy on them. And they can make the people in their lives uh, that are really trying to help them appear to be the bad guys. And that's what it looks like to me. She's done with you, Um, you know, and it's great that your kids are getting to the point where they can say, you know, hey, I don't even want to be around this madness anymore. But the real danger here, bro, is what's happened to the children mentally in that interim period, you know? And I mean, like anything could go wrong at any time, you know? I mean, it's horrible that she went into a, a parking lot alone and took a bottle of Vicodin. What if she would have like driven off a bridge with the kids in the car? You oh, know,
1: absolutely. I mean, and she's I mean, thrown it into a fit of rage while driving the kids. Oh, she just drives as fast as she can and erratic as possible. And it, you're totally right. I mean, it scares the shit out of me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Your number one, your number one has got to be those kids. And to be perfectly honest with you, the, the best interest of the children are, is not necessarily going to be the best interest of your wife. You know, hospitalization, medication, long-term therapy, uh, those are things that she is never going to be able to stop doing. She's never going to be able to stop taking that medication. She needs to be in therapy all the time, uh, you know, bipolar too. Y- you can manage it, but you oh, have yeah. to be somebody who is actively managing it. And, you know, I mean, is it possible that, you know, you said only 15% of the time, but is it possible that maybe there was a lot more and you just didn't see it because because you were deployed?
1: Um, Yeah, it's, it's very possible. Yeah. And I mean, at one point, um, I'd gotten back from deployment and she, uh, we were actually... Going to a New York gala. It was a fundraiser for the Navy SEAL Foundation. And, um, you know, she'd always kind of spent time with guys during deployment. And some of them I didn't know. They were like kind of friends, not friends of mine. And I kind of always held back. And I finally confronted her about it one night in the hotel room. And she um, got up and slit her wrist in the bathroom. And I had to like. Yeah, she. I, I had. I can't. I heard her cutting her wrists, and I had to come in and wrestle her to the ground and hold her wrists, stop the bleeding, or else she would have bled out and died. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I had to hold her till she passed out because she was try, She was fighting me so hard to to cut her own wrists, and after that, I, um, that was probably the worst of it. And I, I for you know, I, I talked to a lot of people. I didn't force her, but I strongly encouraged her to. Uh, unfortunately, you can't force an adult to do anything, but I strongly encouraged her to. Um, start talking to a therapist about it and to seek medication for it Mm -hmm. and you know it's so funny because she she went on a mood stabilizer lamictal which is pretty common for bipolar treatment Mm -hmm. and she was it was the most hopeful i've ever been that we were going to be a stable family Mm -hmm. Um, it was amazing i mean she started a business with her friend she was stable she was happy her and i were able to meet constantly and talk about finances And it was the first time we've ever been able to do that and I was honestly, I thought for the first time in my life, it was things were turning around. And unfortunately, when I moved to Virginia beach, um, she was unable to refill her medication. so she stopped taking it. And almost immediately after that, I woke up one morning, asked her to like go over finances with me early before the kids woke up. And she woke up, leaned over my youngest son and basically started hitting me in the pun like punching me in the back of the head until she couldn't punch me anymore. And I just, uh, sat there for a second, then just put on my shoes and went to work like nothing had happened. Mm-hmm. And I kind of realized that was when that bubble had popped and that hope was gone at that
0: point. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, you say that she was unable to fill her medication, but, I mean, she's an adult. You know, what was stopping her from filling the medication? Is it that you weren't there to do it for her?
1: Um, I think it's just it became difficult, and so she just didn't put in the effort to do it and she's very frequently um flaky with things she just doesn't fall through with anything sure she has a hard time holding down a job she has a hard time completing anything that's not an emergency and so my kids just constantly live in a state of emergency
0: yeah Um, you you can't do that bro you know i mean like what you know and again going back to that 15 percent of the time she's fine i mean like self-determinative adults do not need other people to come in and take care of their business for them. I mean, you don't need to have other people taking care of your business for you. You know, you're busy putting out fires, taking care of other people's uh, issues and trying to raise your kids. You know, I mean, it's a miracle that you were able to survive without a house for seven months, making enough money to pay all the bills, make sure that your kids were fed and, and prepared for. Uh, and, uh, and then at the same time, you know, managing somebody else's life, you know, um, I just, uh,
1: yeah. I, I, I just, it was, I, it was a miracle. I don't know how I did it. Yeah. Honestly, the numbers didn't make sense.
0: No, I, I mean, no.
1: it forced me to bankruptcy yeah. and, um, I mean, I'm still paying for it to this day. Um, it, it's, I honestly don't know how I've survived this long. I mean, I've gotten, I've had utilities shut off. I've had cell phones turned off for months at a time. Um, it's just been week to week this whole time because i've just been jumping from one emergency to the next and one thing i noticed about things like this like people get really focused on like one area of your life when things Mm. become unstable Mm -hmm. but like when a court system makes your life unstable by forcing you out of your home without having like if they put me in a a home or i talked to the military and be like hey we need to get you guys we need we need to get your guy a barracks room uh which i begged the military for and they told me no um we need to get your guys something like if they had made sure that I had had a place to just sleep, um, where I could just put my stuff even, um, like, or do laundry, it, it would have made all the difference in the world. Um, but without that, I mean, you, when you make somebody's life that unstable, everything starts to fall apart. So like, of even, even my instructor duty, uh, responsibilities with the military that I had started really suffering. I started getting you know, the, my military leaders started getting angry with me because I was unreliable it was difficult for me to, you know, to be reliable with anything really at that point because, you know, sometimes I couldn't even do laundry for three weeks. Sure. And I was, you know, sometimes I was so dirty that I was embarrassed to show up to work. And it's just, it's hard to like, it's hard to function like that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you're like waking up and it's freezing in a house that you're living in with no heat and you, you, you just are dreading getting out of bed just because it's so cold. You're going to have to just grit your way to the front door. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then you're still dirty and you're embarrassed because you're dirty. And you know, like if you don't have running water, it's, it's pretty bad. I mean, I've, I thought be- because I'd been on deployments and stuff without the, every amenity you need, it would be okay. But what I realized was that you're living around other people living in that same situation. Mm-hmm. So it's, you're like the same as everybody else. But when you're living around people that are functioning, with you know running water and a bathroom and a shower and a a washer and dryer for their clothes it's 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 not the same it really gave me like a new you know i kind of understood at that point why homeless people get driven down and aren't able to get back on their feet Um, Mm -hmm. and i've had a lot of arrogant people be like oh you know if i was in your shoes i would have done this or that and i'm like well you say that until you're there but you don't realize how alone that place is like how many nights that you're just missing your kids and you end up crying yourself to sleep because yeah. nobody gives a shit if you're alive or dead for three weeks at a time, you don't know, may, may not talk to a doll for, you know, multiple days on end at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if nothing else, just because of depression and embarrassment at that point, like you get severely depressed when you're forced to be separated from your kids. Of course. Um, I, I would go to great lengths to, um, even if I had to borrow money to see my kids, I'd rent a hotel room and I'd take them to school from a hotel room and, it was just horrible because you know they'd show up late i barely have i'd have to go to the store and buy all the stuff to make lunches for them and it'd be super expensive because you're just buying everything and then mm-hmm. you know half that you're throwing away and it's just it was such a mess and i i honestly don't know how i made it through it i think i just was so scared to lose my kids at that point i just was i was willing to do anything or
0: you're going on instinct
1: do yeah i mean i literally worked until i collapsed multiple times i uh I never collapsed. You know, I've been through first phase of buds, like our basic under, underwater demolition school, three times, and uh, or the majority of it three times, uh, just because I'd gotten rolled and had to go through multiple classes. And I never once collapsed in training, even when I got severely sick and couldn't eat. Um, I never collapsed, and I literally worked outside of the Navy and my job renovating houses until I collapsed. Cause I was so scared that I was going to lose my kids. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know it was physically possible at the time um, for your body to fail like that. It, it was, it was, it was definitely a new low. That's for sure.
0: Well, You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at it like that. I mean, a lot of people, I don't think they would have been able to do as much as you did. I mean, I absolutely understand doing everything within your power to ensure that you don't lose that relationship, but I mean, you were living the, a life for for two people, for two adults, okay? Uh, and y- you were taking on all that responsibility, but you weren't getting any of the benefits. You know, I mean, how many, how often were you really getting to see your kids? You know, H- how much were you getting back from the situation? I mean, you were basically expending every single ounce of energy to ensure that you didn't lose that little bit that you had. You know, so uh, uh, how are you now? Uh, How is your living situation? How is your family situation? Do you have support?
1: Um, So it's improved slightly. Um, I wouldn't say it's a whole lot better. Um, I mean, I was able to eventually, um, I had to eradicate massive amounts of mold out of the house that my wife uh, destroyed. And so about a quarter to a third of the house is uh, finished. And then the rest of the house, like even this room that I'm in right now, is still unfinished with um, and needs to be uh, completed so pretty much just bare studs and um, I was able to move my mom out at some point to help out my oldest son who lives with me all the time and that has been just such a godsend to have my oldest son um, be able to stay with me because I don't know if I would have been able to make it through this without him and I mean he's just such a wonderful person to have around And um, but the unfortunate part is that I'm still paying massive, I mean, as much money as the as the Navy would allow her to take from my paycheck, like their limit to where they cut it off is what they're taking from me right now. So, I mean, I, even though my son lives with me all the time, I barely get to see him. Um, I wake up super early in the morning when we're all healthy um, and we work out together. And um, I, I, when he was doing homeschool, I would tutor him in math and other subjects um, but besides that, I mean, I'd work 12 to 16 hours a day when I'm not at the, with doing my Navy job. And um, it's just been horrible. Honestly, it's been one horrific battle with these lawyers after another. And I haven't been represented by a lawyer uh, for several periods during this time. And they've tried to take advantage of that and take my kids from me during that time. And I mean, at one point, they gave me a 45-page packet that took me months to fill out. And they got a court order saying I had to fill it out. And I mean, it it was, it was the most ridiculous packet of information I've ever seen. I mean, ridiculous. Like I, I can't even express how long it took me to do this. And I was scared that if I did it, I'd get in trouble to courts. And I didn't want to have a judge look at me in a derogatory way at that point while I'm trying to maintain a good presence with them. And it's just, it's just been one battle after another. I mean, even just last week, her lawyer filed another motion to try to take my oldest son out of the house with me, even though he's 14 and a half and. Has lived with me for over a year. They're going to try to force him to go back to his mom's house. I, Herm, I don't do,
0: do you have anything like friend of the court in Virginia or like <sighs> legal aid? Um, you know, wow, I mean, when I, you know, I I I got full custody yeah. of my daughter when she was like six months old. Um, you know, I had I had a kidnapping scare. Um, there was uh, you know all all different types of uh, of bad behavior, and I got really lucky. Uh, because i was able to get it taken care of pretty quickly you know it, there there was years where things were were very difficult and of course i mean you have that relationship with somebody and it doesn't matter like how far apart you are there's always going to be some like uh, residual emotional and you know physical damage that's done but um do, do they have a service like that i mean I, I know that most often it's used by the mothers um but I mean, if that's there, you might be able to uh, take advantage of that and uh, at least have somebody to advise you on this stuff and not charge you an arm and a leg.
1: So I've actually uh, had four uh, SEAL organizations and military relief organizations try to reach out and find a pro bono lawyer or some organization like you're speaking of. And what we've ran into is the um, my the, the income requirements is extremely low. It's like $28,000 a year you have to make to, to qualify for a pro bono lawyer from what I've ran into. And I mean, all my fam- my, every member of my family as well as those four organizations have tried to find, and myself as well, have tried to find uh, help in that nature. And unfortunately, what we run into, have ran into this whole time, is that either the lawyers that might be willing to hear the case are months backed up or... Um, aren't available or I don't meet the income requirements for it. And so, what I found out if you're like, if you're in a middle income, uh, family, you're in the worst and most vulnerable situation for the courts because you can't, you're not quite rich enough to afford to pay a $400 per hour fee. Which, when you really stop and think about how much $400 per hour is, it's, I mean, you can go through two, three, four, five thousand dollars and just in a packet of information that just them read through it. And I, I had, I mean, I, Struggled just to get basic retainers, and um, I've even reached out to a lot of SEAL organizations and asked for help. And they, the 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 hard part is is they they can't they have like hard policies that they don't interfere with court cases. And right now, there's one person I heard of that's trying to start a foundation to help out uh, SEALs and special warfare operators because. They are being targeted by lawyers all over the country.
0: I was going to uh, ask, is this something two that's parties. happened to, to, to other SEALs? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I know personally three guys that are going through something uh, not as severe, but very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, one of my friends is in a different state, and he had more severe restrictions placed on his visitation with his kids than I did. Mm-hmm. And he's the most um, on paper and in real life squeaky clean guy I've ever met in my life. Most even tempered guy. I've never, there's one person I would trust with my wife or my kids. It'd be him. And when I heard that, I just, i lost hope. I mean, I was like, there's, if they take your, your kids away, I mean, who the guy is an incredible genius. And I mean, I've never met somebody that didn't like him. And mm-hmm. for the court, he, he said he basically had the same story. I did his wife or ex-wife now went to court, made up a bunch of lies and accusations with no proof. And the judge always, when it comes to SEALs or special warfare operators, they err on the side of safety. And I've heard police officers face the same type of persecution in courts. And I think lawyers, from what I've seen, um, when a girl comes into their office and they say, like, my husband does this as a job, they're like, oh yeah, this is going to be an easy target. And so they prod their client to file different motions and charges, knowing that the judges are basically in like a going to do some sort of risk analysis and say, Hey, if this, you know, probably this girl's lying, but if the 1.01% that she's not, it's going to end my career. So I'm just going to, it is, it really is. And I honestly, as, as mad and vindictive as my ex-wife is towards me, um, I don't think that she would have done all this if it wasn't for her lawyer, Michelle McCracken. I mean, she, Michelle, me and me and Mariah have, like talk things out and like came to great conclusions, great, um, great agreements for the kids, for each other, for to try to create a stable living situation for both of us. The kids have two healthy homes to go to and she'll call her lawyer and her lawyer will scare the shit out of her until she uh, is so scared that she'll call me back with a completely different rhetoric, completely different, Tone, even and almost talk to me like I'm trying to manipulate her, and every time she accuses me of trying to manipulate her or trying to pull one on her, and I think her lawyer, from what I've seen, is just using fear to control her so that she just maintains ultimate authority in the case right. and i I don't think this would have been nearly as severe without her lawyer's presence in the in the matter
0: probably not. um
1: i mean my, my ex-wife can be very reasonable, very smart um she you know, in her heart, she wants to do what's best for the kids. I think mm-hmm. that she's just being goaded by and honestly targeted by these lawyers and her friends, just giving her con- consistent, horrible advice, even at her own demise. I mean, I think part of the reason she's tried to kill herself that I know of twice this year alone is because of her lawyers and her friends just stepping in, just doing, I mean, giving her the absolute worst advice I could ever imagine.
0: Well, she she's mentally ill, you know, I mean, like, I know it's 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 difficult to say and it's difficult to hear, but I mean, at the end of the day, that's what's going on. I mean, e- there are outside influences that are having an effect on your life, on your family's life, and those people are not taking into account the damage that's being done. You know, maybe they think you're giving – they're giving her good advice. Certainly, I think the lawyer is taking advantage of the situation because – you know, she knows that she's going to be getting paid no matter what. So the longer she drags this out, the more motions she can file, uh, the more times she gets you in court every single time she's going to get paid. And if it's your wife's boyfriend that's paying for this stuff or her family that's paying for it, anytime there's a money spigot, that lawyer is going to turn it on. And I know we we have good lawyers who watch the show, lawyers who, who, who fight for the rights uh, of the little guy. But there are a lot of really unscrupulous people out there in the court system. And, um, yeah, you know, I I mean, this is, this is going to continue until it gets resolved. And I mean, if if your wife continues with the way she's doing it, then it's going to keep going until it destroys you. And you just, you can't have that happen, man. And, uh. You know, it just more than anything, Jordan, it shows that there there really needs to be some proper advocacy organizations for men in your position. I mean, it's bad enough having to go through the court system when you're just a regular guy like I was. But when you've got a certain set of skills and and life experiences and work work experience that can be used against you, you know, I mean, like that's a, a whole nother thing entirely. So yeah. I mean, <laughs>
1: her letters make me out to be some sort of like superhuman, like super monster. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, they, they, they they act like we acted towards Russia in the cold war. Like they, they pretend like I can do anything. They call me like a master manipulator. They call me, they, they act like I can literally like pick locks and do anything I want to make anything happen at my will. And like, everybody's a victim of me. And I'm looking at them like, you know, like, what are you even like are you watching movies and then just repeating what you see in movies it's it's so silly some of the stuff is i've even heard them quote lines from movies when we're in court and i'm like looking at them like you 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 literally took that out of a movie i can tell you right now and i'm like this is so that's how pathetic this is she's and um, she's she's got
0: paranoia i mean paranoia is part of bipolar too i mean and believing that people are Conspiring against you or acting in ways uh, to to go against you. I mean, that comes with it, you know? Oh, and yeah. I mean, like, who knows what she actually believes has happened or, you know, what ideas other people are putting in her head. Yeah. And I,
1: you know, I've thought about it a lot because I, I try not to ever like just dwell on problems without thinking of like, well, what's going to make it better in the future? Or what would change this? Or like, where's the root of this problem? And I've, you know, I, I don't know anything about the court system. This is my first experience with the divorce or anything court natured. But I think the one thing, the one change I see making a tr- like significant difference on both male and female sides, just overall, just everybody being more amicable is if everybody was held accountable for mm-hmm. false allegations and lying and perjury. Mm-hmm. Um, if all it would take is a handful of judges to discourage the lawyers from doing it and supporting it. And, you know, they would only have to punish a few people for for lying in their accusations for taking people to court falsely. And I think the lawyers would stop allowing people to just lie openly, however they feel, no matter what. I mean, she's made the most bizarre accusations about me that I have hundreds of people that could disprove. I mean, she even went as far to use like the tragic death of my teammate who overdosed on drugs when he came back from deployment. And who our youngest son, I mean, we, we found, we used his name in my, like, we didn't name him after him, but we like loved his name. And after meeting him, we decided to name our youngest son, the same name as him. And I mean, she went to the funeral of this guy and they, they said that they tried to make it look like I was doing drugs with him overseas. And me and him were an entire country away from each other overseas when we we're deployed. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, it was as easy as me calling over a hundred, 200 people to okay. confirm it. I mean, Like that kind of accusation that just bears no, not even a a little bit of truth in it. And they're just allowed to openly say that and completely ruin my name, my reputation, and everything I've worked to build with no consequence whatsoever.
0: Well, you know, Jordan, here's the thing. This is an economy of scale that is built up around the family court system. Judges, lawyers, doctors, counselors. I mean, think about... How many people are employed just to keep that machine going? They allow it to happen because they're benefiting from it. It's the same thing that we see in government. You know, people are constantly asking, "Oh, why, why don't why don't we have uh, uh, you know honest politicians? Why don't we have administrators that are 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 doing the job properly?" It's because the incompetence is what allows them to keep their jobs. You know, if there wasn't something that they constantly had to speculate on or, or, uh, put forth a plan to fix, then they would be out of a job. You know, if everybody did what they were supposed to do, then they would probably be doing something else because their, their employment would be redundant. It's really sad.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, I think another huge issue is like, you know, a lawyer would probably call in and be like, well, you know, you could prove that they're lying and you could take them to court and, 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 you know, exploit the exploit their, their, uh, the, the wrongdoings. But what I've realized, because I've tried to do it, I've tried to get the guardian at litem debarred. I've looked into what it would take to, to get her fired as the guardian at litem, get her license taken away. Same thing with my ex's lawyer. And the reality is you need the same amount of money mm-hmm. that you need to fight in the custody battle and the divorce battle as you do to prove that that lawyer supported her in lies or even to hold your ex accountable for the lies. I mean, that takes even, I mean, she's gone to court she lives in a house that costs over $3,000 a month for rent and utilities and drives wow. a BMW goes to the nicest restaurants in town and goes out to, you know, NBA finals games with her boyfriends in Texas. And I'm and like, while I'm working tw- 12 plus hours a day, every single day, seven days a week. And I'm working in the Navy and I'm my, my break is seeing the kids for a couple hours per week. Mm-hmm. And that's the only time off I have from working. And she gets to do all this. And then she, when she goes to court, she claims she makes $500 a month. And she makes way more than that, and her family gives her enough money where she probably lives off of between six and nine thousand dollars a month. And but the problem with that is that for me to prove that she makes that, I mean, the amount of money I have to pay a lawyer to subpoena the rec- the documents to go to court to file. Uh, ba- there's like a thing they have here where they say basically she's gainfully underemployed and she could be making a lot more money. I mean, we're talking ten thousand dollars to get to a tiny bit of relief.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: if you don't have that 10,000, there's no starting point for it. You. you can do it all right. yourself, but the paperwork is astronomically overwhelming when it, and there's no books, there's no guide on their website. I've looked it up. I was going to just file all the paperwork myself, but I mean, how do you do that while working two jobs and trying to care for your kid full time?
0: No, it's impossible. It's impossible. So, so you need you need perhaps somebody who's willing to devote some time uh, to to help you through this this situation, I mean, is there any end in sight? I mean, are we talking like, you know, do you have a, a, a any type of a date set for when the divorce is going to be finalized? Do you have all of your possessions that have been split up already?
1: Um, so right now, I don't even know why we're not divorced. I mean, we've been living apart for, I mean, this has been going on for over two years. Like we we share nothing in interest. Yeah, um, I think the biggest issue is they're not willing to. Uh, conclude the divorce uh they're trying to milk it as long as possible because she's engaged she's been openly engaged for over a year and i'm still paying spousal support and it's killing me i'm I'm about to be foreclosed on i'm, I'm filing bankruptcy i i can't pay my mortgage on my house with the amount of money i'm, I'm having taken from me mm-hmm. um not while i still choose to eat and um I, I think they're trying to milk it as long as possible because I don't think they can support her and her fiance. I don't think they can support themselves on their own. And so I think they're trying to drag this out for as long as they can. And then I think during that time, they're trying to force my oldest son to move home with her. Cause mm. that's kind of the biggest contentious issue is that he, she's, she's hurt him so bad throughout all this. And I mean, I, he's tried so many times to, to warm up to her and to let her back into his life. And every single time she horrifically hurts him. And I mean, literally, I, I wrote an email w- when they talked about it a week ago, and I just said, hey, does she even really want this? Because I mean, everything, all of her words aren't aligning with her actions. All of her actions are saying just the opposite. Like I've offered, you know, she was upset that he wasn't going to her house and that he was living with me full time. So I was like, okay, well, you know, his homeschool, you're really good at English. You're, you're great at it at school. Do you want to tutor him in English? You can, you can meet with him every day and tutor him. And she never did like not even once wouldn't even open his homeschool computer program on the, on the internet. And I mean, that would, if she really wanted to mend their relationship, that would have been a perfect opportunity for them to hang out every single day. And it would have helped him significantly, but really she wants what she wants the way she wants it and nothing Mm -hmm. else. And so I think, I think for her, it's more of a pride issue at this point. I, I think if she really wanted to mend their relationship, she knows how to do it, but she's just so hurt by him, not, and, she feels betrayed. And, you know, I, I would, I don't want any parent to ever be separated from their kid, but I mean, the things that she's done to him is just horrific and I, I can't blame him. I mean, I, I, I encourage him to try to, like, I don't want him carrying any hate or resentment towards her. Cause I, that's a very damaging thing that can lead to drug abuse and mm-hmm. addiction issues later on in life. And it's just a horrible thing for anybody to carry. And so I've encouraged him to forgive her and uh, you know, to keep that, door open in his heart but it's hard because every time he opens up to her she she hurts him really bad in a really negative way and it's, yep. it's just crazy to me i don't understand it honestly
0: well okay you know I, and again i'm gonna go i'm gonna continue to go back to this i mean she's sick okay it's as if she has cancer uh, and she's not getting treatment for it that tumor is going to continue to grow and at some point it's going to affect the, the way she acts, the way she lives, the decision decisions she makes, and the same thing is true with her bipolar. And it, it just keeps happening on, over and over again because it's a cycle. I mean, it, there is, like, the emotional and mental cycle that people with bipolar 2 go through when they're not getting the proper treatment that they need, and it inevitably spills out and affects the people in their life that they love the most and that want to love them the most, too. And you know, I mean, your son is old enough for him to decide. You know whether or not he he uh, he wants to spend any significant time with her. I mean, I, I think you're right. I think he should forgive her. Forgive her, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he has to put himself in the path of her inevitable destruction because it's it's happening and it will continue to happen. And you know, again, I'm only saying this as somebody who has witnessed this firsthand on a number of occasions. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking. You want to be there. It's the mother of your children. Okay, you know, you don't want to do something that's going to make it worse. But, you know, it's on her. I mean, truthfully, at the end of the day, she is an adult and she may not have the capacity to make the decisions that she needs to. But, you know, that's all the more reason for you to not take that responsibility on you've got enough with yourself and what she's done to make your life all the more miserable um have you uh, you said 100%. that you were paying no oh, go ahead are gonna say something. oh no I was
1: just gonna say you're totally right I appreciate all that it's uh, you're totally right I mean it's, it's yeah. incredible how much how accurate it is with it like I appreciate I'm really thankful that you've had I'm not thankful that you had the experience but I'm yeah. just thankful for the advice you can give because yeah. not very many pe- not very many people understand this unless no, no.
0: Been- <laughs> you know yeah it's it's you know it, it's definitely one of those things that like it's a very specific lived experience and if you if you haven't gone through it, and I think that's why it's difficult for people who do end up going through it because you know I mean you know if if she had cancer would you leave her <laughs> you know I mean like no you you'd, you'd want to take care of her you want to help her out you know but This is, but it's not, it's not in here. I mean, it's up here, you know, and um, it, the way she thinks and the decisions she makes, none of it is based in reality or insanity. Like her thought processes are not the same as yours. And you will never be able to truly understand why she's done the things that she does. And uh, there, you know, those outside influences that's bad, you know, but like, like her own natural thought processes are, are twisted. Like they are altered from what they should be. And, um, it's just, there, there really is no rationale for what you're seeing and what you're going through. And, you know, I just truthfully, man, like the best thing you can do is only to focus on yourself, only to focus on the kids. And, uh, you know, don't, do not, do not get yourself invested in trying to make sure that you're managing her life because you're never going to be able to manage her life. And every single time that like something happens, you know, if she acts like she's going to be a danger to herself or other people, you call the police. Okay. You have your documentation. If I were you, I would keep a, a notebook, okay, and document every single interaction. You know, uh, I I don't know what the 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 laws are on um, on wiretaps in uh, in Virginia, but if it's a one party consent state, I would suggest uh, recording every single phone call, every single interaction, uh, saving every single text message or email. Might even be better only to communicate through electronic means. So that you oh, yeah. can say, you know, I you know I don't talk to her, you know, on the phone uh, because it just makes it that much more difficult. When you have something written uh, and you present it in like that, like matter of fact, you know, light of day, um, you know, then she is going to have an opportunity to like read and digest and then respond rather than responding in the emotional way that I'm sure she does when you guys – are, you know, talking uh, together, or, you know, when you do talk to each other and it's a good conversation, and then she goes and relays the contents of that conversation to somebody else, and who knows if she's even relaying it properly. It, is, she, is she explaining to her lawyer truly what you guys talked about, truly what you said? Oh, absolutely not. You know? No, no she's not. Mean, she, she's no, she's, no, not she's getting it twisted. Her wires are crossed before she even gets to the people that she's talking to, uh, to about uh, uh, regarding you and, and what you guys are talking about. So, you know, it would uh, it might even be good if uh, if you only had communications with like, you know, so maybe her on an email chain, the guardian ad litem, uh, perhaps, you know, a disinterested third party, you know, that has nothing to do with the case, you know, but somebody who is willing to just, you know, validate, verify, you know, see what's going on. And just say, you know, hey, it's become too emotionally difficult. This is devastating for me. I love you. Okay. I want the best for you and I want the best for our children. But I think that it would only be in the interest of everyone's, you know, futures if we only communicate in this manner so that absolutely everything is documented. So then, she can't call you and like put that on you, or like message you and say, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna kill myself because I screwed up," and you know, time for you to come save me because it's gonna happen again. You know, if she's oh. already done it twice this year, guarantee you it's gonna happen again. But you 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 know, you have to have that record so that you can go to the police. The police can put her on what's called a 5150, an involuntary psych psych hold. Okay, and uh, if she says, "I'm going to kill myself." Uh, and you have that record, you know, they'll go and pick her up and they'll take her to the mental institution. And, uh, you know, that sounds cold, you know, to, you know, just go ahead and do that. But I-, I honestly believe that that's in the best interest of her and anybody else who is in a position like that, because oh, she yeah. she might not really mean it that time. She might just be doing it for attention or to get a rise out of you. But she's done it before. You know, I mean, it's inevitable she's going to do it again. And, oh, and and the more documentation you have, the better coverage you have for yourself, and you can use that in court. And the guardian ad litem won't be able to deny that stuff. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe get your kids a couple of GoPros. Uh, you know, go, go on yeah. eBay, get a couple of used GoPros, get them a couple of one terabyte memory cards. You know, just have them turn it on. You know, I mean, you know, get oh, yeah. get them to 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 verify everything that's going on, and you know, use that. Not to your advantage, but to protect your kids
1: absolutely yeah i, I that's that's all really great advice I, I i um I tried several of those methods to and dealing with her, and I actually uh got to a breaking point about four and a half months ago where I was you know I'd kind of gone through that same cycle like you talk about, and I realized that every form of communication I was work using with her, be it email or whatever she was using it really did nothing to help us establish anything or to work towards, um, a peaceful co-parenting relationship. All it was, was just a form for her to try to, um, emotionally attack or manipulate or, uh, sabotage me in some way or take what I said and then, uh, change the wording and, you know, make me look in a, put me in a bad light in the, to the kids, mm-hmm. uh, especially my middle son at the time. And, uh, so I, I actually did a lot of research and, there there's third party uh, mediators that people recommend for co-parenting. And so I, I said, Hey, I don't have the money right now, but I'm working super hard. And maybe when I get, when I recover, I can pay for a third party mediator just to filter all of our communication. Cause one night the true, the true breaking point is um, we were trying to settle out of court because at the time her family had cut her off financially. And so she was no longer able to pay for a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And so she was willing to settle out of court and, uh, she got mad halfway through the process and took all the emails that we were sending back and forth and posted them on her Instagram. And she has like over 10,000 followers, but she, she cropped different lines out of them and then wrote different comments and like was accusing me of being like, uh, emotionally abusive and narcissistic. And, you know, I see, I see a lot of young girls pretty much uh, do this to everybody Mm -hmm. after a breakup right now. And the hard part was, is that, Oh, like every single seal uh, friend that I have, their wife follows her. Everybody that I've ever worked with follows her. She's very social. And so she knows every single person I've ever met or ever been friends with. Mm-hmm. And they're just seeing me horrifically accused of, of really terrible things on social media. And I, I took all of that and sent it to the guardian at litem. I mean, she didn't even went as far as to say, Hey, I heard he's dating a, a girl. I'd gotten a girlfriend at the time and she, she's been a wonderful Uh, Godsend in my life and uh, you know she even wanted to contact her and tell tell, try to convince her to hate me too Mm -hmm. and so she was putting out uh like notices on social media like if anybody knows this girl please send me her phone number i want to contact her and Mm -hmm. um and you know i thought so we i actually she did this before my kids were telling me that they're really embarrassed about it and i got my lawyer to write a court order saying that she couldn't do this she couldn't post uh, disparaging comments on her social media accounts, especially with my kids viewing all of it. She was, she was literally making TikTok videos every day about me and in a negative way and was just on a campaign to destroy my reputation. And um, and I just, I couldn't stop her. And so I finally got this court order and she didn't care. She kept doing it regardless. And so I sent the guardian litem, the um, court order, and I sent her the 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 stuff. And I said, hey, my kids are really being, you know, negatively, um, negatively influenced by this. And it's, it's goes against multiple paragraphs in our court order and our custody agreement, you know, can you please talk to her about this? And, you know, the guardian ad litem was just like, no, I don't see any, pro-. like, sorry, that's, that is inappropriate, but I'm not going to do anything. Man. And it's just like, I, I just, at that point, I just wanted to give up. Cause I'm, I, I definitely have hit points where I've just said, you know, the effort that I'm putting into using the court system is worthless Mm-hmm. And I need to put all my effort into making money so that I don't get I don't lose my house in foreclosure. And so I definitely that was one of those points where I was just like, okay, I'm gonna turn my attention away from anything to do with the court system and just put all my focus into earning as much money as I can to try to, you know, because I am anticipating at some point her not being able to care for the kids, mm-hmm. be it through a uh, financial um, impairment or just her own um, you know health issues coming to fruition and her being unable to care for them and so i've just tried to maintain a house that i could care for all of them in and i know to do that i need to make about twice what i'm making right now and so i've just worked as hard as i possibly could to make you know the the cust the spousal support payments the uh, money to fix my house or the damage she did um the money for my kids coming back and forth and just to try to re- rebuild all the um all the ruins from the instability and all the all the chaos has just caused so much damage to our lives that um, it's just taken insane amounts of money to rebuild it. And I'm honestly still fighting paycheck to paycheck to try to survive. I mean, I'm, I'm still just in the midst of it, to be honest, I I would love to say that I'm in a better place, but um, once you get so far down, you realize that you're just, I mean, you get in survival mode and you're just fighting every day, one day at a time.
0: Well, it's like you're in quicksand and you're just trying to keep your uh, your, your neck above the uh, uh, the line, man. So I totally yeah. get it. Listen, Jordan, we are way over time, dude. But, you know, I, I think I'm probably going to split this up into a couple of different pieces so that uh, it'll be easier for people to digest. But is there a way that people can help out, that people can reach out to you? I mean, like, you know, I mean, like I said, you have a certain set of skills. I mean, are, are you interested in, in perhaps – uh, uh, you know, getting some additional work that might be, you know, a a, a little bit different than what you're doing right now, maybe a, a little bit higher paying, if that would be a possibility.
1: Absolutely, yeah, I would okay. love that. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm honestly open. I'm I'm desperate. I'll I'll do literally anything. I mean, I've been renovating houses where I'm literally cleaning up homeless people's clothes and mm-hmm. belongings so I can renovate a house. I mean, working underneath foundations for um, entire months at a time during the winter. I mean, I'll I'll literally do anything at this point to provide for my family. And I, w- I would love that. That would be tremendous.
0: All right. So you said you're in Virginia beach. Uh, yes, that's okay. correct. Okay. And uh, how can people reach out to you?
1: Um, uh, you know, probably my email would be best or um, I, I think that would probably be the best way to go
0: about it. And what, what is that? So I can put it in the description and we'll put it on screen right now.
1: It's, it's uh, Jordan uh, Barnhart uh, 23 at gmail.com.
0: Okay, all right. Um, is is there anything else you want to make sure the audience knows before uh, before we go?
1: Um, yeah, you know, I, I I think it's been a really big blessing for me amidst all the chaos. I think God's put handpicked some different, um, really positive uh, women in particular in my life. Like a couple best friends that I've had that I've seen get divorced now and act really, really in be- in the best interest of the child. And the child, or the child in one, and then the children in the other. Uh, One of them her name's Sarah, and she's in South Dakota, and she just her and her ex did a wonderful job with their kids, and they just always put the kids first through their divorce. And then, you know, recently uh, Allie's came into my life, and her and her ex husband. I mean, I've never seen two adults act in a better interest towards a child. I mean, they constantly put aside their emotions and act in the best interest of their daughter. And it's such a good example to me because it's really easy to become hopeless in all this and think everybody's horrible and every girl is irresponsible and kind of become hate filled towards um, everyone. And, you know, definitely the opposite sex. And I, I'm really fortunate to have seen that firsthand and seen how responsible they were. And it's been a great example to me, Um, you know, and I just wanted people to know that maybe going through the same thing that there are people out there that have done it responsibly, both male and female Mm -hmm. working together, both sides have worked together and and out of, you know, and what both or all three people have told me is that they don't focus on themselves. They just focus on the children and what's best for them. And almost, you know, I, I hear Ali constantly make decisions and she's just always so, you know, in, in her head, I can see her going through the thought process. She's always just like, well, you know, this is what's best for my daughter. And she's constantly just putting aside her own feelings or thoughts or emotions or opinions and just, just to act in what's best for her daughter. Her daughter lives a great life in, a, in two households in a divorced family. And, you know, it can be done. I've seen it now, fortunately, because I was definitely at a point where I thought there was no hope and mm-hmm. I'm very thankful that God's allowed, uh, you know, Ali and my other friends to come into my life because it's such a great example of people that are doing that right now in a mature way.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, I'll be really honest with you. I mean, that's what's supposed to happen. You know, I mean, quite often, uh, you know, people find it difficult to adhere to that. But make no mistake, dude, what you have experienced is not normal. It's not what usually happens. But unfortunately, it's what happens in that very unique circumstance that you're in. So I'm glad you've got Allie. Hopefully, you've got a support system through church. Hopefully, Uh, I've got some people there in Virginia beach that might be able to help you out, might be able to reach out to you, but um, you know, what about social media? Are you on social media at all? Are you staying off?
1: Um, I I don't have a huge presence on social media, to be honest. Um, I, you know, just kind of steered away from it because of my job and whatnot. Yeah. Um, But I'll probably re-engage as I, as I, you know, work my exit towards the military. Mm -hmm. Definitely a huge fan.
0: Okay. All right. So, yeah, definitely uh, get on Truth Social, too, if you're not on Truth Social yet, because that's the place to be. Screw Twitter. (laughs) Forget Facebook. (laughs) Truth Social is where it's at. That's a free speech platform. And of course, it's owned by President Trump. So. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, Jordan, you know, and I want you to make sure we stay in touch, dude. You know, I mean, because I I understand what you're going through and uh, I know how difficult it can be. And I just want you to remember, you're not alone. You know, I mean, this probably ha- has felt like a very lonely experience, um, but there are other people out there who have had to go through this too. And you know, God will have your back. All you have to do is just get to the other side. Do not allow yourself to lose hope. Don't get sucked into to the emotion and the drama, and just be there for your kids and uh, and and. You know, it's okay to ask for help uh, when when you need it, because, you know, this is this is an almost unbearable experience, I'm sure of it.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Seriously, you don't know how much it means to me.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, I want to thank you again for being here uh, and ask everybody at home, please, if if you're in the Virginia Beach area, please get a hold of Jordan. Jordan Barnhart, 23 at Gmail dot com. Thanks again for being here, bud. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Good luck and God bless i